punts in one twenty four got added that way. Okay. After the fact. Yeah. And they've gotten wor- progressively worse and worse. It used to be that you would like, you know, what? How long has it been? Nine years ago, I guess. Ten years ago. Uh, it used to be that they would get their proclamation out like prior to the deadline. It's gotten to the point now where you just have to apply and then look at it and then yeah. hope to. And and you couldn't amend your application back in the day. Right. And now yeah. they've changed that so you can amend it because now they do not get their actual numbers and proclamation out prior to the deadline for non-residents. So yeah. I'm always pushing well, deadlines back. So, That's what I think. Why yeah. don't you just push that deadline back? So Arizona called me, their director called me a couple of weeks ago. Their commission wanted to move their elk and pronghorn mm-hmm. deadline to June. I don't know if you guys talked to them. Uh I'm like, well, if you do, you're going to lose a competitive advantage. That's yeah. why Wyoming kept the non, even yeah. though they moved deer and pronghorn to May and to May, they said, no, we're keeping. Yeah, January thirty first. Yep, because we want to grab those non-resident dollars. Mm-hmm. And it is historically like if you look through our list of most viewed oh yeah application strategies, Wyoming elk is always one of the very highest, yeah. if it's not the highest. The, it? it is the highest. <clears throat> Yeah. And I think it's just because it's the first out of the gate. Yeah. Everybody's excited about it. They're looking at Wyoming elk. And I mean, Wyoming elk, yeah. obviously. And Wyoming so. has the opportunity to <coughs> yeah. be excited about. And, yeah, you know I mean, what I mean? They like, got you more actually elk. have a chance. Yeah, I mean, and they're yeah. over objective statewide. You think about much. the other part of it. When, when we're talking to people who have limited budgets, you know, you got to front all the money to Wyoming. Yeah. So that's money you don't have to front to the New next Mexico yep. or to Montana yep. yeah. or whoever. So. You Which know, I, I they're, hate they're, that. That's so hard. It's hard to front twelve hundred if you apply in the special tag twelve hundred eighty three bucks. And then if you got a kid like me yeah. or two of them, you're fronting the cost. Like three, you. yeah, three yeah. of them. I got yeah, I got two that can hunt. And I guess three coming up. But you start fronting all that money, and you're fronting it until May. Yeah, and now this year you that's get to big. front two thousand bucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, with the increase. Yeah, yeah, and transaction fees it. and everything. <laughs> well, if you can't tell, we have Are a special guest today. Yeah, we're live. Yeah, we're yeah. live. What? I was telling all this stuff on... <laughs> we can <laughs> cut. You better... You better c- we, can, we can cut if we yeah. need to. Yeah, all right. You got to do what you want with it. But anyhow, if people wonder how uh, one of our crew ended up with that Wyoming elk tag... That's how. That's how. I was watch. I watch everyone. If I'm available and have service, I watch online every meeting that is uh, setting the final quotas. It's a good strategy. Yeah, I know a lot of people are like, "Look, I got a job, Randy." (laughs) (laughs) You can listen to those while you're driving. Yeah, Yeah, you can just let them them play on the YouTube because they record all. Utah does the same thing with all their their different wildlife board meetings. You can listen to those. Yeah, so and I think it's a good idea just to keep up with what's going on. Yeah, just the discussion and like the general like vibe of what our state's trying to do. Yeah, but yeah, we do have a special guest today. We got Randy Newberg. Thanks for having me, guys. Uncle Randy. Yeah, yeah. first first Good time on a podcast, you. right? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember last time I did a podcast. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> just, before, just before I left for Arizona, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and we wanted to have you on because today is a special day for us. This is our 100th episode. Whoa. Yep. Number 100? Number 100. Number 100. Yeah. Man, I better give the program. You guys are going to catch me pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, we've been pretty consistent. It's we, amazing like when one, you just get to work and like just do it. You know what I mean? Then you lift your head up one day and you're like, holy shit. Yeah, 100. Right, right 100. Right here. Hard to believe. Time, time's wow. going by. So what do you, you guys got to be doing something special for 100, right? I mean, yeah. you can't let the 100 episode come mm-hmm. and go without. Yeah, we are. We're, we're going to do a little a little giveaway. We're going to give 10 $100 gift cards to the Go Hunt Gear Shop. Hmm. Uh, all you got to do is we're going to put out a reel. So this will be part of a reel you see it on Instagram. So all you got to do is give us a like. 
you got to comment and you got to tag, tag a friend. And you got to subscribe to, to Gohan on the IG. So on the gram, on the gram. Yeah. Do it for the gram. <laughs> yeah. Do, it for the gram. <laughs> do you guys have a course of how to run Instagram? Cause I, I we, don't. We got, a, the king we got a 22 year old or whatever he is. How old is yeah. So <laughs> I have a phone here and they put it on my phone. I think. Yeah. It's that one there right there. Yeah. And I hit it. And I have no idea what I'm Brady doing. laughs at me because I don't even have it on my phone. Really? He, he, so how I get to oh it is through I Google search Go Hunt Instagram and then I click on it. You know, <laughs> look at this guy. He literally Google searches I don't know Instagram. What you know on social media. You, right. you don't have it downloaded to your phone? I don't know. That, he doesn't I don't know, know where it's at in his phone. No, 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 I, in I the app it. store. He, yeah. he does have it, but he doesn't know where it's at in his phone. Yeah. 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 So, so then I just Google search. And like you could just search your iPhone and then get it out there. That's what I did. Yeah. I spend more time trying to learn. Russian as a second language than I do posting on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> but I have it's a crew good, that probably does a good it. strategy. Yeah, so you secretly my, you're saying you secretly have a TikTok then? <laughs> I don't I have TikTok. Do you have a TikTok? Does Randy have a TikTok? Does Randy have a TikTok? I don't even know what TikTok good. is other than I hear That's people, the best I hear ever people heard talk about say. it. But oh you imagine Randy doing the dances out in Elk Camp or something yeah. on TikTok. The old TikTok. Uh, there there is a clip of me doing the gritty. There is. Oh, yeah. What? <laughs> oh, there is. Where, where were you when this there happened? Uh, my uncle Larry last year in Arizona had shot a bull. Yeah. And the camera guy is all set up and he's interviewing Larry and I come across the back. Doing the <laughs> and, uh, did you get oh, it going that's awesome. Eye? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I did the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, you got to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I don't know if it'll make oh, that's awesome. I don't know if it'll make the cut, though. That that's about as far as I get with anything like real trendy. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty trendy. Well, That's that a good one. Very trendy. Yeah. yeah. But if you're a Minnesota Vikings fan, you, you kind of do that because Justin Jefferson. He kinda, made it famous. Yeah. That is the guy. So, but, there you go. And, so, they, and they barely won yesterday. I was at that game. You were? Randy yeah. and I were both at that game. It was the most boring football <laughs> game. You Ever. Would, you would have to script a game to be any more boring. Yeah. I don't know if you could script a game I any more Did either boring. team get in the red zone? I, so I know the Raiders on the Raiders side, the Vegas side, we crossed the 30 one time, and that's when Renfro fumbled. fumbled. Yeah. But that was the only time we yeah. ever crossed that. Th we were never even in field goal range the entire yeah. The game. beauty of having a seat right at the 40-yard line is that's where all the play was. There was yeah, no play was, down by yeah. it. It was all right it out in front of me all the whole time. Crazy. It was, crazy. It was so boring. boring. What was the final score? Three to zero. Uh, an entire football game? Three, yeah. The three points zero. were in the were in the fourth quarter. No Wait, way. Two minutes and 20 seconds left in the fourth quarter. It was three to zero. Was it here at Allegiant? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It, it was, was so two one. Better. The Vikings. The Vikings. <laughs> and I, I feel horrible. bad for the Raiders. There were way more purple jerseys yeah. there than there. And really? When they would bang the drum for defense, yeah. you know, the Vikings would go, skull. Yeah. And the skull would be way louder than the... Way louder. It was... It was a it was a legitimate home game, home game for, for the Vikings. Vikings. It was crazy. Why but is that? Vikings travel. Not? The Vikings have always known to travel well. I right? thought the like Raiders a, were like the ultimate traveling there's, army. So no Steelers travel like it's kind of a known thing. Packers. Packers travel. They well. like travel. The Packers Dallas travel. Steelers well. travel really well, and Vikings travel really well. Like they're known for that. But I mean, look, if you're in Minnesota right now, it's. You know, 12 below zero, and you're thinking desert. about ice fishing, or I can go to Vegas to a football game. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it makes sense. Anyhow. Yeah.
But I don't know how we got on that. I'm sorry. You guys got a real man. I'll, no, I'll, we're good. Yeah, I'll we roll us it. out in the ditch yeah. all day long. We get in trouble all the time that people say our intros are too long because we start. Too long, yeah. Oh, we this is everywhere. the intro? We're yeah. at seven yeah. and a half minutes Oh, this is mild. Yeah, we're usually, usually 15, 20 minutes deep. Really? Usually there's at least like four or five comments that are like, if you guys want to get to the heart of the discussion, you got to huh. scroll jump. Tw- 25 <laughs> minutes or yeah. whatever it is. But, but like this one, though, we did have a nugget drop right away. Like Randy didn't realize we were we were hot. You were dropping like you dropping the goods. Yeah. I can't believe If I would have known we were hot. I would have not. Said that <laughs> we're here for the people, Randy. That's yeah. what we they always, they always make fun of me for not giving intel. So I guess Randy's going to. But then Trail and I'll just jump in and. Yeah, drop. it's bound yeah, to happen. Okay. So like guys with the promo code quick, Trail. Yeah, promo code. So use the promo code podcast. Sign up for a Go Hunt Insider research account. Uh, we're going to give you 50 points to the Go Hunt Gear Shop. You can use that towards the purchase of any gear you want in the shop. If you want to sign up for Go Hunt Maps, we're going to give you 20 points. So use that promo code podcast, and that just equals dollars back in the shop. And it's research season. So, I mean, we're we're already, sounds like you're already in it. I'm deep into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just like you guys are, right? Yeah. If you don't research, you're not going to get tags. In my old life, I had tax season, fishing mm-hmm. season, and hunting season. Now my life is application season, research season, hunting season. That's a, that's a much better setup. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's yeah. A lot, it's a lot yeah. It took me 35 years of grinding away at a CPA firm to get <laughs> yeah. to that point. But and yeah. fishing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so hunting's much better. We we appreciate you coming by. We assume that you were in town for uh, Cowboy Christmas. Yeah. Hunter and Outdoor Christmas. The Elk Foundation has their big thing here along with the NFR. And uh, gotcha. Yeah, I was over there. Uh, yeah, I can hear it in your voice. It sounds like you've talked to a few, a few I have folks talked to this a week. lot of people, <laughs> shaking hands, kissing babies, as they call it. It's fun. And, and my wife being from Vegas. Oh, your uh, wife's from Vegas? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, I always say I married a Vegas gal, and she looks at me like, because, <laughs> it, it, you know, when you say a Vegas gal, oh, yeah. it has a different connotation than a woman from Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But she graduated from Valley High School here, and I could find Valley High School in the dark yeah. because... There's a coffee shop over there, and I don't care where we're at in this valley. We're going, going to that coffee shop, and she's going to say, this is where I went to high school. I know, honey. <laughs> this <laughs> is the 48th time. time I could walk here in the dark. Welcome to marriage. That's, yeah. That is marriage right so, there. How'd you, how'd you meet a Vegas girl? Uh, I was going to college in Reno. Okay. You yeah. went to University of Nevada? Yeah. Is that, is that yeah. Nevada, Nevada, Reno? Nevada, yeah. Reno? Yeah. When I went there, they called it Harvard on the Truckee. and and here's the bad part Uh, about three or four years after i graduated there's some scandal there where some professor or some administrator was selling diplomas i'm like i could have just just bought bought i should have went to college there yeah that's and then i just would have hunted even more so great yeah what's your degree in i assume something to do accounting accounting yeah i started at the university of minnesota with mechanical engineering and uh then it was a really cold winter in 1983-84 I said, I'm getting the hell out of here. I grew up here. I have shoveled more snow. I've dealt with more cold. Arizona State, here I come. Mm-hmm. And so I went there, and I enrolled for a year and a half, but I didn't attend much. But I will say this. Nobody shot more quail and doves at Arizona <laughs> State than I did when I was there. Uh, so when I went to to uh, enroll again for my fourth spring well it would have been a spring semester the fourth semester they pulled me aside and said mr newberg it appears we're more concerned about your higher education than you are you're not allowed here anymore (laughs) so i went from the dean's list in mechanical engineering to academic probation all in the course of about two years and that's what hunting will do to a person it will that's literally what it'll do i stomped every corner of arizona it was ridiculous i mean i had 
Kuzdier tags, you could buy them left over because I, I worked there and, and I got residency after first year. Yeah. I bought a Kuzdier tag in a unit now that is like primo. Yeah. And mm. I didn't even go hunt it because I'm like, well, you can get these every year. And I, <laughs> I, I don't yeah. have enough money to put gas in my roommate's truck to get up there this weekend. Yeah. And, uh, but quail and dove were just free pretty much, you know? Yeah. It's, I, 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 I could write a book, 101 Ways to Cook Dove. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> What's <awesome>. your favorite? <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, That's one of the questions I had, but I'm curious. Like, uh, really? what uh, yeah. The best way that, that we cook dove, and this this is like every college kid can can relate to this. You get the hamburger helper stuff. Oh, yeah. And uh, you that put, would make some you, hamburger, you hamburger just, helper. Yeah. You, you just put like a quick sear to the dove, and then you put it in there. And it was like 49 cents for a box of that hamburger yeah. helper mix. And so we just walked down the aisle and put the cart there, brrr, <laughs> fill the whole cart. Yeah, I think it's still only about a buck, hamburger yeah, helper. Yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, great. that was a, that was a uh, college kid's diet. Every now and then when diet. I'm home alone and I'm, yeah. I'm the dad, I'm, yeah. I'm playing parent that night and making dinner, hamburger helper makes the list, the short <laughs> list. Yeah, for so, buck. you know, if people would have seen me as a college sophomore and, you know, trying to be a college sophomore, mm -hmm. And Vegas would let you bet on whether or not I'd end up in some sort of detox facility or I'd end up as a responsible voting citizen. <laughs> Most of the money would have went to the detox facility <laughs> option. Yeah. Uh, you were a favorite there, huh? Yeah, it was, yeah. but I'd never quail or dove hunted before. It's fun. And at that time, Phoenix had not overtaken everywhere. There were like cotton fields and orchards and stuff, mm. and you'd go bang on the door. They're like, shoot every one of those. Well, the limit is, I think it's like 15 or 20 a day. Well, we can only uh, shoot more. Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, there's yeah. a limit. But so you could cut class or just not go not to class. Go. Yeah. <laughs> All these people are going to be like, wait a second. <laughs> this guy's a complete degenerate. What, you, <laughs> what kind of advice yeah. is he giving? But my claim, my claim to fame is, so I went to Montana just like Brady, and I, that's when I got into waterfowl hunting. Obviously, there's no waterfowl in southern Nevada, yeah. and I didn't do much of that growing up. I did quite a bit of quail and chucker and stuff and whatever we could do down here. But then you go up to the Pacific Flyway, mm -hmm. longest of the flyway seasons, yeah. highest level of bag limits, all yeah. that stuff. But I never <laughs> failed the class. That is really? my claim. See, Look, I didn't get good grades. I was, I was hoping we were all going to have the same story here because no. I— I'm a fifth-year senior of the University of Montana because of hunting as well. <laughs> I wish. Like, it took looking, me an extra year because I skipped a lot of classes. Yeah. Looking back, I wish I went to college for more than four years because that was just dumb. It's like leaving mm. a party early. You, know what I mean? like, <laughs> you don't want to be the first one to leave the party, and I def I, I was. But my claim to fame, I just had I had the goal in my head of like, look, don't let this. You got you can't fail. Yeah. But as long as we don't do that, we can hunt. It's like in my internal head, and I never failed the class. That was my that was my like proudest wow. moment. Wow, that's good. I that was good. You have to attend to pass. I and didn't attend. I just I figured out the system where uh, the days that I did go to school, I made sure that the professor saw me. I made sure to ask a question, and I made sure to go see them after class. So there was sure. this. Yeah, they was, felt that like we had this little thing, you know. So then when finals would come up, and I'd be like, "Hey, you know, I'm struggling with this. That can you help me?" They were very willing to help me because they had seen me before i wasn't like just some random face yeah. you know what i mean mm -hmm. so i figured out this little system and it worked really well yeah i mm -hmm. got a senior this year and he was just he's been 
he got accepted to SU there. He got like a little scholarship and he was asking me, did you, did you get a scholarship when you went to college? I was like, yeah, great, great academic scholarship. I had great grades in high school, but I think in high school, like you're accountable. You have to be in class. Right. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I got to college and I realized that my teacher didn't care if I was there or not, you know, they're like, we don't care. I just didn't go to class all that often. I mean, I had the best of intentions. (laughs) We'd leave before daylight and we're like, we'll just go shoot a couple quail because we tried to have classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays so we could hunt Monday, Wednesday, Friday. That's what I did. And and work. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so we'd go out and all of a sudden, it was in the wet years of Arizona, there Mm -hmm. were gambles quail everywhere. Mm -hmm. And those little buggers just keep running further and further. And pretty soon you're like, well, class starts in 10 minutes and we're an hour away. We're going to be late. Let's just go. Let's just go chase them. And uh, so then when I went, uh, the story of how I ended up in Reno is my mom moved to Carson City. And so I went to visit her. And uh, since I was now on academic probation, I thought, well, it's a cool place, a lot of public land, skiing, you know, hunting. So I took a job at a sawmill coming from a logging family. It's Mm -hmm. like, oh, I know how to do that kind of stuff. Your your dad's a logger? Yeah. Really? Yeah, my brother's still a logger. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. And uh, so I worked at the sawmill and decided, well, I'll live here. And I worked graveyard shift in the boiler room, which is 11 to 7. And then because I was so starved out and so poor, I would ask for shifts on the green chain during the day shift. So if someone didn't, the green chain is where the green lumber comes off and you stack it. Mm -hmm. You used to manually stack it and put stickers so that Mm -hmm. the airflow would get there. So I'd grab shifts there when I could. And after a while, I'm so exhausted. I'm like, Randy, you graduated in the top of your class. Everyone, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you probably ought to go back to college. So I I went to Nevada, Reno to talk to admissions and they're like, well, can we see your transcripts? So I showed him the Minnesota transcripts and my ACT score. I'm like, oh, well, what about Arizona State? I'm like, yeah, you don't want to see those. (laughs) They're they're, they're like, no, we have to see those. And so I showed them to them and they wouldn't accept me. Mm. They said, you got to go to the community college for a year and prove to us you're not a complete idiot. (laughs) Dang, all because of little mistakes. Because of hunting. That's what hunting does to a person. But when I graduated, I got a job with one of the national CPA firms. They're like, what's the deal here? You got this really low GPA, but your core GPA in the business curriculum is a 4.0. I was like, well, (laughs) let's just not talk about those (laughs) other years. Those were colorful storytelling material. But... (laughs) Let's just focus on what matters here. Yeah, isn't that weird? I mean, it, it's. You've, I mean, you've obviously done amazing things for the rest of your life, but you had this little, you know, blip. Yeah. And everyone needs one. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't it's know. Life. Yeah, yeah. I, it's it's just a different. I mean, you've raised kid. You, you have one one son. One yeah, son. one yeah. son. I mean, I'm I'm at that stage right now where I'm looking at my kids like leaving, you know, potentially leaving the house the next few years, and it's just. Yeah. it's hard to know what to tell them to do, you know, cause yeah. I, I want them to do this kind of thing as well. You know, like I want it's them life. to go out and experience where you life, figure you know? it out. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want them to be like, feel like they, that's held against them in the long run, you know, mm-hmm. but I want them to like go out and live and experience yeah. and do some things. But and I think everybody finds this incentive for change or mm-hmm. hopefully they do. And I met this lady named Kim and I'm like, she actually talked to me. What, what is <laughs> she doing talking to some ruffian mill yeah. worker like yeah. me? So uh, I had a lot of incentive to straighten up my act. Uh, and now her and I have been married for 35 years. And uh, 
That's I, what happened then. I, I attribute all of the good changes I made at that point in my life to her. <laughs> good for you. Do you ever uh, accounting? Were you, you happy with accounting? Do you ever look back and think? <clears throat> no, it was the best job I could have ever had. Really? For me. Uh, you know, accounting, when you become a CPA, it, it's broke into a couple things. There's the tax side, mm-hmm. and then there's the audited financial side. They call it ANA, account auditing and accounting. And then there's the consulting side. Well, I looked at the schedule on the tax side, and you get 80% of your work done from December 1st to April 15th. And then you fish and hunt. <laughs> so or or yeah. you golf, or you do whatever. Yeah. And... After my first year at the CPA firm, I went and told the partners, I want to be in the tax side. They're like, good, because nobody wants to be in the tax side. I'm like, sign me up. (laughs) And so I did. And then after three years of it, I moved to Montana. Do you get that question quite a bit from people, from especially from young people that are mm-hmm. like, "How do I? I want to get in the industry, or I want to, oh, I want to yeah. be involved in this thing that you do. I want to be able to go on these hunts that they see right. you do." Get it all the time. And she, and choosing a profession. So, like, what yeah. is, what is the uh, looking back? What is the best piece of advice you could give somebody? Um, well, for that one, usually the question is, "How do I get your job?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and I say, <laughs> I tell them, "Have a really good day job." Because most people don't realize that we started these media platforms in 2008. Mm-hmm. I stayed as a CPA through 2020 into 2020. Yeah. So for you 12, just barely retired then. Yeah, for 12 years, mm-hmm. I was doing both of these things, but I've never been anyone who was afraid of just working hard for whatever it is I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And. My wife, again, you're going to hear, you hear so much about my wife on our podcast. I've told her you need to host one of the podcasts. <laughs> Have you ever had her on your podcast? No, she won't. She won't even be on video. Nothing. She's like the she most want quiet in the like background person. But uh, she said, look, if you, I'm all on board with you doing this because I know how much time you spend in conservation and access and advocacy. If you think this will help, I'm on board and we'll put a gob of money into it. But you got to promise it will never be our livelihood. Because if it's our livelihood, it's going to create pressures that make you hate hunting. And if you hated hunting, you'd be the most miserable, incorrigible person. No one could tolerate you. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Turned out to be gold. The best advice I got Mm. in this whole thing is Mm. her saying, if you're going to do this, because she knew I was going to do it as a thing of passion. You you can't make it our livelihood. So that's why I kept being a CPA for as many years as I did. So you tell people that I get a good day job. That's what I tell them. I mean, you, and this is where people, I think, always try to assume what everyone else's motivations are for why they do something or Mm -hmm. why they start this activity or this business. For me, I'd been doing this kind of stuff for 20 years before I started these platforms. And uh, I'd grown frustrated that I didn't feel I was making much progress. So uh, I always told my wife, someday, when we can afford it, this is what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm, this is just my full-time life. And I'm going to, whatever money we save, you know, some people when they retire or quit or whatever you want to call it, they move to Florida to be near the grandkids or they move to Vegas to golf or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going to take, now that I have time and money to, to do the things I do, I'm going to blow it all doing the, you know, yeah, these platforms. Do. Yeah. It's what I want to do in life. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it, it, back to your, your question, Trail, of what's my advice? My advice would be find something that you love mm-hmm. and do it. Because if you love it, you're going to be the best at it. 
And I don't care if you're the best ditch digger, mm-hmm. you're going to be very financially successful as the best ditch digger if that's what you like to do. Yeah. And that's what I tell people too. Yeah. I just, I, I mean, find your passion, find the thing that you're good at, and try to find some way to make a living at it. And yeah. I think, I mean, this will probably lead into some further discussion down the road. Uh, but, you know, people ask, you know, are you, they'll, they'll ask me, do you feel any, any sort of way about, you know, may, maybe making money, right? You're, you're providing, you're making money, a living off of like this passion, this thing that's like a resource, right? Mm-hmm. And how do you, you know, quote unquote, justify it, you know, put it in mm-hmm. quotations. Um, for me, I always answer, it's like, well, it's the thing that I love. It's the thing that I'm good at. <laughs> so mm-hmm. like, I don't know if that to me, that's okay. I yep. mean, to you, it's okay that you, you feel like you, I don't have, I mean, yeah. I wake up every day and say our media platforms and what we do is hunting mm-hmm. better off because of the things that we do. And I don't have to think about that very much, very long. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And you know, this is where uh, it's popular to criticize anybody who has platforms. Uh, it has been for the last few years and I get it. You know, I listen to every comment. I read every email. I have so many emails in my inbox right now because I've been on the road, but I kind of break them into a few different categories. There are those legitimate concerns that I listen to. Sometimes it might hurt to Mm -hmm. have a realization of, oh, yeah, I could have done that better. But by listening to it and not being sensitive about it, I feel that we produce a better end outcome. Yeah. And then there's the group of people who they're just having a bad day, right? Everybody mm-hmm. can have a bad day and maybe they send you a comment that they're like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> and then there's the people who, you know, there's the old motto of I'm not happy till you're not happy. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who wake up every day yeah, trying to make someone yeah. else unhappy. And so I try to categorize those of where is it? And I spend a ton of time listening to those people who have those, what I think are legitimate concerns. Mm-hmm. I'm not sensitive about it. I, I invite it. I, I accept it. And, uh, you know, I, I don't care what you do, whether it's in this business, any other business, if you start having success and however you want to define success, we define it differently than most other uh, platforms. But if you start having success, you're going to have your critics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, part of the maturity of that is being able to say, what's a legitimate concern and what's just somebody you know, they're a professional critic. True. And so I yeah. come to it the territory, you yeah. know, and, and I feel blessed to get to do what I do every day. When you started the platform, what was your motivation for it? Like, oh, it's the business plan. So this yeah. is how an accountant builds a business plan. He kills about 30 <laughs> trees and you print something off about that big because back at the time, PDF, a mm-hmm. PDF file that big would have been. It would have taken four floppy disks. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the business plan is still sitting there on a shelf. And the very first, the the why. You still have it? I still, still have it. That has not changed. It, it's been tweaked a little bit. Uh, and it was to create, to promote self-guided public land hunting and create advocates for that cause. So it didn't say anything about profit. It didn't say anything about likes or views. It just said create advocates. <laughs> likes and views. Didn't yeah. it, did that exist? Didn't it? <laughs> it did. Yeah, probably did. It didn't. Yeah. And uh, so 
you know, now it's, it's not necessarily to create advocates, but mm -hmm. it's because creating an advocate is, is hard. How do you measure that? And it's, so we've tweaked it a little bit, but it still says to inspire people to advocate for hunting and the, the causes essential to hunting. Mm -hmm. So it's the why is still, still morally the same. It has never yeah. changed for, for all practical purposes. And if you come to our office, you'll see every whiteboard has that written on it. It does. I have seen it. Yeah. Brady's been there. I've been there quite it. a few times. And I've noticed that. I've taken pictures. Of it. <laughs> it's and, interesting. Uh, so if the crew comes to me with a new idea, I'm like, what are we, is this going to help us? And <laughs> if they, now they, they, they're trained to make their pitch to attach it to that. Mm -hmm. And then if you want to get into a little more granular, there's, different types of content, long form, short form. We have all kinds of pod, you know, platforms like your podcasts mm -hmm. and video and the whole works. And each of them serve a different purpose. But 40 to 50% of our content has to fall in four, these four categories that make like zero money. Mm -hmm. It's called education, information, conservation, and advocacy. Over here, 50 to 60% of our stuff is inspiration and aspiration. Because if we're gonna inspire people to become advocates, you know, they, let's face it, someone is going to watch a really good elk hunt and we can put little nuggets of conservation and, and advocacy in there. Mm -hmm. The stuff you do over here that's just, hey, there's a land trade and you need to support it or you need to oppose it or there's this legislation, those don't get a lot of views. So you got to produce a lot of that. Mm -hmm. And so it's just our business model that attaches to that why. How mm -hmm. do we measure our why of advocacy by how we measure the content that we produce? And I know that sounds like very accountant-ish, business schoolish, but <laughs> it's kind of how I've had to do it. I think it's pertinent. Um, yeah. One question I had is, this is like hearing you talk. If you, if you started that and you said 08, right? Yeah, I first started kicking it around in 2005. Okay, so and like I, early 2000s. Yeah, and, I and came to the SHOT Show here every year and got told, kind of patted on, good luck with that song. <laughs> yeah. I got laughed out of the place every time. Huh. So if, uh, if that was the business plan from that point until this point, how has that developed and changed or has it? Oh, huge. Like at the time, I, my son at the time was getting ready to head off to college and he's like, dad, YouTube is going to be it. You, why you would go on TV. So mm -hmm. he pitched me on, he's like, so I went to all of these people at the shot show, the experts in the industry and said, I want to be the first person who does something on YouTube. That's, you know, advocacy and access on public lands and self-guided. Well, the public land self-guided thing was already foreign enough. When I said YouTube, most of them are like, huh? tube, tube what? Yeah. <laughs> and so it became obvious if I was going to work into trying to sway or move the pendulum a bit in this industry or in this media yeah. genre, I was going to have to go to TV because that's where it was. So I ended up on Outdoor Channel for two years, uh, Sportsman Channel for five or six years something like that but the whole time the plan was 
I'm going to YouTube someday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think we are one of the first platforms that made that migration from traditional TV over to yeah. digital. So the way you do the, the way you deliver it has changed. And I think everybody's seen that and I think it'll it'll probably be continue. But as yep. far as like the actual message that you know, your business plan, if you go to like the root of your business plan, you know, public land advocacy, mm-hmm. you know, DIY hunting. I mean, do you, is there, I'm just, I, the thing that's like striking me is that like the early 2000s, you saw a need for this. Like mm-hmm. you looked at it from your perspective and you're like, here, the, there's a need here. Right. There's a, this is what I'm trying to do. So, you know, if I can help other people try to do the same thing. Yeah. So like, you know, 20 years later, like, is that need still there? Has it yeah. changed any? It hasn't changed at all. And here's kind of the epiphany for me was 1998 i go to washington dc to lobby for a bill called cara the conservation and reinvestment act in 98 98 year i graduated i am like (laughs) i am the greenest guy that ever got thrown off the turnip truck on pennsylvania avenue (laughs) and so i go there and i look i i want this bill it would have put a a small excise tax on backpacks and tents and everything else and over here is the traditional outdoor rec industry opposing it because they don't want a Pittman mm-hmm. Robertson style tax on them. But there's also some lobbyists from parts of the hunting industry and the fishing industry that are over there with them. Mm-hmm. And I look at here I am. I don't know anybody. I don't have any connections. I don't have any voice other than there's a Montana senator who knows my passion for this. And he said, I want you here. I didn't stand a chance. So I left there realizing, you know what? If you send Randy Newbergs here, we're not experts at this. We're not lobbyists. We don't have any money. No wonder we're going to get steamrolled. Mm -hmm. So that's where I started seeing this. And then I started seeing this huge push to sell the public lands. And so I started going to a lot of these conferences and places saying, hey, we we can't be doing this public land. If it wasn't for public land, I would not be hunting. Mm -hmm. People are like, I, I'm like, you know what? We are going to get creamed. We, if, the, if ever there's a time where the average hunter is going to get creamed, it's going to be in my lifetime. And so that's when I started formulating this idea with a couple friends. Uh, we actually happened to serve on a nonprofit board at the time called the Ryan the Hunters Institute. It was based in Helena, Montana, started by Jim Posowitz. And we were on his board of directors, and we're struggling with this mm-hmm. because outdoor tv is there and it's all you know there's a lot of stuff that's high fans there's a lot of things that are just not the way my buddies hunt and shooting, i don't care shooting what giant bucks shooting giant whitetail out of a tree stand mm-hmm. five a of them pot. a year mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. got them all named and yeah. pictures and yeah. seven years of history and whatever anyone wants to do that's fine but mm-hmm. it bothered me that there was no voice for the type of stuff i do and therefore, there was no advocacy for these things. Mm-hmm. And actually, at the time, I'm seeing some of these people advocating against the cause of what I think are the average hunter out west, anyhow. And uh, so that's where we cooked up the idea. Why didn't you? Th- why didn't? Why at that point didn't you think like, you know, what if I just keep my mouth shut? This is the best for me, Randy Newberg. Like if I just keep my mouth shut, if I just keep it going, like I'm gonna get tags for me and mine. Yeah, I, I think it's just in your DNA that you either are one of those people who speak up or sit down. Mm-hmm. And I've never been the sit down person. I've never been that person who screams and yells. Yeah, but I, 
I was blessed to grow up. And my wife is so observant of explaining all these things that she sees in me that I never mm -hmm. quite put together. But my parents divorced when I was 10. So in this little logging town I grew up in, everybody hunted. That, that was your thing. Your school teacher were hunters. The mm -hmm. merchants were hunters. Every mentor, everyone you looked up to in town was a hunter. Did you have a deer hunter's ball? We yeah, owned oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was a big yeah. deal, huh? Oh, it was a big deal. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I mean, Brady knows what northern Minnesota is like opening week of hunting season. Yep. It's like the Orange Army redefined. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> big tradition. You ever been to Utah in October? <laughs> I have. Uh, and Min northern Minnesota. Minnesota worse? Way bigger. Oh, it's worse. Uh -huh. they, they wear orange from their socks all yeah. the way to the top of their head. <laughs> all day long. Yeah. But anyhow, when my parents divorced, my dream of being a hunter pretty much went away because my dad moved off for a few years and mm -hmm. was trying to find work and i'm like great what what am i how am i ever going to get to hunt and lucky for me there was public land right out the back door of our trailer house so i'm the oldest of three and my mom's trying to raise us she's a waitress in a diner mm -hmm. and if i would have asked her mom i need a dollar today to go hunting she would have done everything she could to find a dollar but i don't think she could have found a dollar in 1974. Mm -hmm. But I could take my mink and muskrats and weasels and I could take them to the fur buyer who met at the hardware store where we bought our ammunition and I could go buy some 22 shells or ammo for my 410. Mm -hmm. And that public land, I got to go and hunt. And yeah, it, the, at my age at that time, I probably wasn't supposed to be plinking rabbits and grouse, mm -hmm. but I was. Uh, and uh, at that point in my life, my entire world was upside down. When you're 10 years old, and it's a time in the early 70s where divorce is not common like it, like you see today, yeah. the stigma that came with being the only kid in your class whose parents are divorced, the whole world knows about it, just that. Everything that seemed like this American institution of stability, boom, gone in the course of a couple months. And my dream of being a hunter went with it. It was shaking big yeah. time. But because of that public land, I would go there. And I now I remember, you know, I crying as this kid trying to understand things. I'd go there and everything made sense. Mm -hmm. It was like, this is where I found my sanity. It's where I redirected myself positively. And it, it was life-changing for me. So as I got older, I realized that without public land, I wouldn't have got to do any of that. Mm-hmm. And so coming from this community where volunteerism and giving back was part of the ethos, it still is today, Big Falls, Minnesota, some of the most generous people with their time and their money. I just took that with me. And mm -hmm. so rather than say, hey, you know, life's great. I got all these ranch clients as a CPA. Yeah. I could just hunt my life away. I just, I didn't feel, you know, mm -hmm. that it, it wasn't the option that I just, yeah. I felt yeah. good about. So no, that's that's more than you needed, but anyhow. no, that's perfect. That's exactly what I wanted. Okay, I mean that was awesome. I mean I I, I I'm thinking back to when we had we had Derek Wolf on, yep. and you know Derek, same thing, similar type of story, broken home, just really tough childhood, and he talked the same, very similarly about just the, the opportunity to go hunting, you know, deer hunting yeah. for and white. what it did for him and what it did for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, and and I think, I mean, I've said this before a bunch. It's it's just like. Uh, I don't know how to, I couldn't put it into words. I couldn't, I'm just not good enough with, with my word, spoken word to, to really captivate 
and tell people what those experiences mean to me. Like they Mm -hmm. legitimately have been life changing. Like they're, their motivation for me to get out of bed every day. Like when I hit a treadmill in the morning, it's the only reason I'm hitting a treadmill. Mm-hmm. It's the only reason I'm not eating donuts all day, every day because I love donuts. You know what I mean? Uh, and ice cream. Absolutely. Yeah, I do love donut. Yeah, oh, I, I, do. Too. Yeah. I don't think I knew you actually loved donuts specifically. <laughs> I do huh? like it. Well, yeah, I mean, a raspberry fritter at Maverick. You can't beat it. <laughs> I, I, I can tell you how many calories, 680 in it. Maverick is a good, good, good But but, but it is. I mean, it, it really is like the motivation for so many things in my life. And I don't know. I mean, I mean, I've said this a lot, but I, I don't know if it's just like, well, I'm in my 40s now. I don't know if it's nostalgia. I keep getting like increasingly more so, but I, I just want a, somebody to have that opportunity. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, the, to that point, there's another thing that I took with me from that experience is the benefit of growing up in a small town. I cannot overstate yeah. because so many people saw, hey, this is a tough situation. Mm-hmm. My school teacher, Paul Reese, went out of his way in fifth and sixth grade to keep me on the straight and narrow. Owen Gordon, who owned the hardware store, he had the hunter ed class. I mean, the number of people, aunts, uncles, community members who just put their fingerprint on a little bit as I went. And at the time, you don't realize how big of an impact that's having on you. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, as I became an adult and I had a child, it's like, you know what? That's that's the kind of generosity with my time and and my whatever I have to give that I want to have as an adult. I look back at what that generosity that was poured upon me. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, if I ever get fired from this job and (laughs) everybody said, Newberg, get out of here, I'm still going to be doing it. It's just it's my way of giving back. And I I looked at, you know, how many guys in our little town would go on in the springtime you'd volunteer to go plant trees as a kid you know your parents were dragging you along because you were going on a tree planting thing part of the conservation stuff everybody was given back in some little way Mm -hmm. and at the time you didn't realize it you're like well you know they just like to go plant trees and then they all drink a bunch of cheap beer afterwards you know that's (laughs) what what you think as a kid but you get indoctrinated into that and you grow up in it and you realize how much your life was changed by people who invested in you. And I, like you were saying, how you feel this need that someone else gets mm-hmm. the chance to enjoy yeah. it. That's what drives me now. If, if I never get to hunt again, doesn't mm-hmm. matter for me personally, but I would consider myself a complete failure if hunting doesn't exist 100 years from now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, what's really interesting there, like your your story, my story could not be more opposite, right? Like you've known me and... Like I come from one of the most probably privileged backgrounds, amazing dad and mom married their whole lives, still married today, like unbelievable mentorship, childhood, everything. Mm -hmm. So like when I, when I tell this, when I try to tell people what hunting means to me, it's not, I don't see it being as impactful to the community like yours would, would be coming from, right? Because you have a lot more things that you had to go through from your life that hunting saved you from. Mm -hmm. But at the same rate, like hunting for me, it gave me my life. Mm-hmm. Just like you're saying, it gave you yours. Yeah. Right? Hunting entirely gave me my individual life, and I'm, that's how I feel about it. And that's why I feel, you know, the responsibility with with Go Hunt of being. I want other people to have the opportunity. That's why we try and supply like where the opportunities of hunting are, because mm-hmm. if it's my background, couldn't be more different from yours. But our feelings and wants towards hunting are the exact same. Parallel. That's 
that's what it does for people. Yeah. You know what I mean? And trail is probably a mix in the middle of Randy and I, and it's like all of us feel the same way. Yours is a mix in the middle of us mm -hmm. as well, yeah. Brady. It's like everybody, we know what it did for us. We all wish we were better with words. Like trail said, I've said it before. Our words on the podcast aren't always the best. I listen to other <laughs> podcasts and my, I always go away from it thinking, man, I just need to like pull out the dictionary and, and just learn like how to learn speak. a word or two a day. Yeah. <laughs> just so that learn I how can, to speak. I'm going to try you know, to use a different word. Trail, it's the app called vocabulary. <laughs> <laughs> so every, every single day. An folks, app? The stupid of course app is there's an app for it. Yeah. I don't know. podcast for that. Trail. Of course yeah. there's an app. But every single day the vocabulary app gives me words and I can sit there and scroll through them and see definitions. And so I do it every single day. You know, I just, I've, my impact when I tell people that isn't the same because they're like, oh yeah, of course it is. You know what I mean? Like, what do you, what else right. do you, did you need in life? But it genu my individual life, that's what hunting gave me. Like, yeah. that's where my individuality came from was through hunting. Yeah, and uh, I get it when I read Brady's stories about him and his family deer hunting your annual mm -hmm. deer yeah, hunts. That's the funnest yeah. thing I ever do. All the I wish I could do that more often. Yeah, it literally means the world. Yeah, there's yeah. nothing I'd rather do. And you think about. Uh, how many times have you been at an event and there's a whole bunch of people there and somehow the hunters end up in the same little corner? Oh, uh, somehow we, we always find do. each other. Yeah. And I always try to figure that out. How, you know, I'm at this event and there's a hundred people there and there's only one other hunter. And somehow that person and I end up in a conversation. I don't know if it's about our traits, our mannerisms, our views, our perspectives, but somehow we end up connected and I don't care where you come from on the economic sphere, the whatever spectrum it, you, you, when you're a hunter, you're a hunter and it, that's all that matters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so so anyway. what, do you, what do you, what do you say to the people? And this goes for everybody. I mean, Brady just said that he wished he could do, you could do that family hunt all the time, right? All the time. So what do you say to the people that are saying, because because of platforms like ours, Randy's, that they can't do it all the time because we've created more hunters. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what do you say to that? How do you feel about it? I can tell you how I feel, but I thought I'd ask you guys first. I mean, there's there's always though opportunities for us to do things. As a family, we're always talking about right now trying to figure out other things to do yeah. besides for our annual deer hunt. Like we've we've been doing our annual deer hunt for a long time, yeah. and we're still able to do our annual deer deer hunt. Yeah. There's still things we can do as a family to go hunting. And maybe it's not deer hunting all the time, but maybe it's some other type of hunting, but we will find a way to do it because we're just yeah. those type of people that are chasing opportunities because there is a lot. People think there might not be, but when it comes down to it, there is a lot of hunting opportunities. We, we just went through this whole exercise with Idaho. So Idaho's OTC tags went on sale December yeah. 1st. Did you play the game? I didn't. I was you standing, didn't? I was standing <laughs> on the canyons of Arizona. I didn't even go. have a cell service. Yeah, so I, I I tried it, you know, logged on, got my numbers, best number I ever had, which I was excited about. I was like number 5,000 and some. I mean, I think previously I've been like number 13,000, and I think one year I was 20,000. And so, I, like, to me, I was like, oh, sweet. I'm going to get, you know, get a tag. And uh, for whatever reason this year, I don't know how the system was run. You know, I know people can show up. They can buy tags. Um, you know, I've been told that they can buy tags for other people if they actually show up in person. So, like, I didn't get my tag, right? Didn't didn't get my elk tag, didn't get a deer tag. I, and there were some available when it got to yeah. me. Like, I could have bought a tag. Mm -hmm. um, I, I didn't get the tag or one of, my, like, my top ten, right, for elk. And <clears throat> I bet I've had no less than 50 people, like, reach out to me. Either DM me, send me emails, and just say, man, this sucks. Mm -hmm. Can't get my elk tag. I can't get my deer tag. And uh, I thought about it. I'm thinking, yeah, I didn't get mine either. Um 
the thing I keep thinking though, and I keep going back to it, is that somebody got that elk tag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Somebody got a deer tag. Wasn't me this time. Maybe next year it'll be my time. Yeah. Somebody got it. Somebody's going mm-hmm. hunting. Somebody's getting out into the field. Somebody's right. getting the opportunity to participate in hunting the lifestyle, the tradition, and conservation through buying a permit. Somebody got that permit. So for me, I'm just like, I didn't get it this year. Maybe I'll get it next year. Like yeah. I just, you know, you're still jacked for that person who got the tag. <clears throat> I'm genuinely excited that somebody gets an opportunity to go yeah. hunting. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to try to find my opportunities and sure they exist probably less so than they did. Maybe, you know, mm-hmm. and there's, I think there's ways that you can look at this. You can grow their pie. You can grow the resource as well as the number of people that are participating in hunting. Right. But, uh, yeah, for me, I'm just like, somebody got it. Yeah. Somebody's, somebody's going, going hunting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Somebody's right. going to have a life changing experience. You know, yeah. I, I talked to a guy, I had this tag in Nevada, northern Nevada, deer tag. The guy was out hunting. He shows, you know, pulls out his phone. We're shooting the bull. And he shows me a picture of this giant bull elk he shot in Idaho. Giant bull, 380 bull. And I'm like, man, incredible bull. I wish that was me. But I also am just so happy that this guy got a chance to go out and hunt. Like, yeah. he was so excited to show me these photos of this animal. Yeah. All right. I don't know how much time we have to explore what you just threw out there, Trail, but People who listen to my platforms are probably tired of it because it's a business school exercise that the world is split into two groups of people, scarcity thinkers and abundance thinkers. Mm -hmm. And the abundance thinkers are what you just referred to, build a bigger pie. If you want to double your odds for a sheep tag, put twice as many sheep on the mountain. Mm -hmm. If you want to see your odds go in half, two things can happen. Either the number of sheep or antelope or whatever numbers on the ground get cut in half so tags get cut at least in half or you there's double the number of applicants it could be a mix of any or all of that for me i've always been an abundance thinker Mm -hmm. i i can't you know if you read the psychology of of scarcity uh and in business school we we study that stuff uh using your idaho example there's scarcity in fact and scarcity in perception Mm -hmm. so you think about idaho and you see this in a lot of states it happened in my state in montana that if there's a perception of scarcity there's a human mechanism a psychology of i might miss out and i gotta have it Mm -hmm. because it's valuable if it's scarce Mm -hmm. Well, Idaho back when was it 2018 or 19 when they Mm -hmm. put when they so it's the same number of tags. They just restrict them to certain districts and units that created in my mind one there. There has been a growth in in total number of applicants. Yes, Mm -hmm. but it also created a scarcity scarcity of perception. And so what do people do? They build bots and they got 14 friends logged in. You know, I got to get this tag. Mm -hmm. Look at how many Idaho tags get returned. A crazy, I would bet if you did the math, and I don't know if anyone ever has, the number of non-resident tags that get returned in Idaho is probably higher than any other state. And I think it's because of this perceived scarcity thing. Everyone has to have it. Mm -hmm. So you get this chaos on December 1st, and then they just turn them back, turn them back. Yeah. I think if Idaho didn't allow you non-residents to turn their tags back in, there'd be far fewer people buying. There'd be so many fewer people, and it'd be so much easier. <laughs> but agree. it's the first one out of the shoot. It's the mm-hmm. safety net, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, if I got this, I can swing for the fences in Arizona, or I can mm-hmm. try for this in New Mexico. So the, there's a whole lot of psychology in that. None of that denies the fact that we have lost a lot of access where people used to have access on private land 
on other places, state programs that were enrolled in access programs. So now we have more people per huntable acre on public land. That I, I agree, that's probably the case. Mm -hmm. So what are we gonna do about that? Are we gonna be scarcity thinkers and fight over the last mule deer that's standing in Nevada? Are we gonna fight over the last bighorn sheep that is standing in Montana? Are we gonna fight over the last elk that might somehow be in Idaho? Or are we going to do what <clears throat> our predecessors did and do the things necessary to improve access, improve habitat, Im improve the numbers, the herd numbers? Mm -hmm. That's that's where we're going to make progress. The, mm -hmm. the hunter numbers are going to fluctuate up and down. And right now we went through one of those up cycles. What happened in 2023? Down it cycle. flattened and, and in some yep. states came down. And we're going to be seeing more of that. But... Anyone who doesn't get their tag, you know, it's got to be somebody's fault. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm blaming Brady always. Yeah. I, I mean, so, uh, that state you mentioned, I also did not get a tag, but I could have, but I elected not to. Yeah. I watched the whole process and looked yeah. at it all. Yeah. As, but, as, so, as, uh, I think it's, it's not just one thing, it is so many things. And do platforms and all, like ours bring more people to the fold? I, I hope so. That's, yeah. That I mean, we're here to create advocates. I want people to be connected to these lands through the experience of hunting. So yeah, I'm sure we bring people there. Mm -hmm. But that's you know, someone brought me here. Yeah. Yeah. So, someone, someone, someone brought me here. Yeah. I, yeah. I agree. You and know? I and thank God that they did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I legitimately like. You know, and and you guys, I I read it out there all the time, and you guys may not want to talk about it. i'm going to talk about no, it no we so do we you want, guys we can want be to. <laughs> if i make you guys uncomfortable i don't you read shit. about quote unquote the go hunt effect right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh yeah read yeah you that. guys read it oh, i yeah. hear about it well to me i i, I look at when i started multi-state applications in 1995 it was a serious sacrifice at my household to apply and build points in colorado that year and the next year I added Arizona and then I added Nevada. Every year I would save enough money. I'd work enough overtime. I'd, and uh, at that time, there were research services that they found out I was doing all that. I don't know how they found out I was doing multiple state applications, but I got letters in the mail. Hey, we'll do your applications for you. Okay. Do I want to pay that much money to have someone do my application for me? No. I'm too much of a tightwad accountant and I'm kind of a do-it-yourself sort of person. So I just kept doing it and doing it and doing it. And so there are really good services out there that will do your application start to finish. Mm -hmm. And there are tens of thousands of very wealthy hunters who use those services. But when you guys came out, I still remember you guys were at one of the shows here in Vegas. RMEF. It was okay. back in the day, yeah. Okay. It was the very first We've one come we full did. circle. And I see, <laughs> I see this go hunt sign, and I somehow I'd heard about you guys. And I'm like, this is so much BS. There is nothing that's going to replace my spreadsheets. I am like the Charlie Daniels of XL, man. I am. And so I came over there, and I'm like, hmm, wow. You want to talk about a democracy of information? This levels the playing field so that you don't need to hire your own consultant to do this. And to me, it was, it was the best thing that I, I could have seen. And I still remember Porter. He, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I said, he asked me, he says, well, what do you think? I'm like, well, I'm pretty impressed. I'd like to try it out. 
And he's like, well, give me your credit card, and I'll let you try it out. I still, <laughs> I still get charged on my credit card. That sounds like poor, but, but that's all right. Poor, especially back but, in those days. But my point of this is, and you guys, I know, are the ones who are in the spotlight of it. Who decided that you shouldn't be able to bring lots of public information to one place and make it easier for the person who doesn't have thousands of dollars to hire their own very good consultant? Mm-hmm. Who whose outfitter is not going to be doing all their applications for them? Mm-hmm. Other, the, I mean, yeah. to say it's the go hunt effect, it's the information effect, that's the technology effect. Mm-hmm. You guys have just been smart enough to say, let's bring it to one place. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, you've done a lot of other things, but that's I read that and I'm like, okay, whatever, you know, call it's, it what you it's, want. It's the progression of everything. I think we were talking earlier and I said the same thing. Like, do you have plumbers that are, you know, is there a plumbers union right now? That's like bitching and moaning that YouTube exists that now I can go on YouTube and fix, you know, fix understand how to fix my own faucet. Yeah. It's, it's the same thing. It's just a progression of technology as a whole, I think. And I yeah. don't, this is, again, this is just me personally. Like I don't, I don't necessarily understand like the, the naysayers because this is an opportunity that exists for everybody for not that much money. Right. You know, you can, you can now plan your own strategy. You can apply across multiple States. I mean, it is expensive. And I say expensive in relative terms because it just depends on what it, what it's worth to you. Mm-hmm. Like anytime anybody comes to me and says, yeah, this is, you're making it a rich man's sport. Hunting is becoming a rich man's sport. I'm like, you know, a hunting license in Arizona, it's 160 bucks. Yeah. You know, what's, what, what's it worth to you? What do you value? Yeah. That's like always my response is like, what is your value? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, what do you value in life? Is it, you know, is it a Celsius drink at every gas station you stop at? Because <laughs> yeah. if that's what you value, spend your 160 bucks there. You know what I mean? But if not, if you value it enough, it's something that you want to do, you'll find the money to go do it. So yeah. I just, I mean, I, I think it's probably a pretty rare case today where, yeah. you know, yeah. somebody can't just, I think make you, it work. Your comment earlier, it's got to be someone's fault if I don't get what I want, right? right? Whether hunting or anything else. Brady's. Like if I don't get it, it's somebody's it's fault. My fault. Usually it's always Brady Miller's. <laughs> yeah. But I wreck everything. In the, the, the whole go go hunt effect thing, look, we, we leveled the playing field of information to mm-hmm. make it easier for people to find opportunities outside of their home state because hunting has changed to a certain point. Right. To your point earlier, though, through loss of access more than anything. Mm-hmm. Like that's been the main, there are more hunters at trailheads because of lack of access, right? right? Private land being bought into, you know, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't want to th- throw right, any but, rich individual but name of, out there, no, but, but now lost. hunters aren't allowed on that piece mm-hmm. of property because they don't want public access on their property where the right. rancher before who was born, raised their family, they mm-hmm. always knew that that was a community thing. So you lose that, you lose it through land swaps, you lose it through other business opportunities, develop money, right? right? Yeah. It's all money. You're mm-hmm. going to lose it to money at the end of the day. Yeah. That's the number one reason right and it's like the gohan effect what what is the gohan effect what is it that we just what (laughs) please prove to me what is it because we don't make tag quotas we don't make we don't do any of the biology reports and anything that these states do do we change the weather do we change the weather drought do we no you know what we do do is we put out the information that is pertinent to people to go hunting and who want to go hunting but we also spread it through throughout all the western states Mm -hmm. i would yeah, equally, right? I mean, not right. that everybody wants to hunt each state equally, but the amount of effort that we put into each of those states that we cover and opportunities existing in those states, it's all a level playing field. So mm-hmm. if you lost 
you know, timber access or private land access to this public land place that you used to, if you lost that through a land swap, go to yeah. a neighbor, like there's neighboring state opportunity and here you go. Right. Like now you can figure it out and, again, right. and it's, try. It's, it's personal yeah. perspective. It's scarcity. Yeah. It is. Yeah, the, the, scarcity, mindset. Uh, the scarcity mindset is yeah. a very, very interesting thing. Yeah. It's like so the diamonds, I, right? <laughs> uh, diamonds are a scarcity mentality. Exactly. Why, they're not why, why is the gold and diamond, why, why, why are they expensive? Yeah. Because they're perceived to be scarce mm-hmm. and they're hard to acquire. And I, I don't want to say any of that to discount the frustration sure. some people feel. That's sure. why uh, earlier when we talked about, you know, when people complain, I, I take those legitimately mm-hmm. and I, I, I view, I assume every comment I get is a legitimate concern. After a while, if it's the 13th message from that person this week, it's no longer, you know, probably yeah. more of sniveling than it is a legitimate concern. But the back to your point, we need more access. Look at the trends of mule deer in the United States. It is not favorable. Yeah. Look at the trends of wild sheep in every state other than where we're sitting in Nevada. It is not favorable. Nevada and Utah, maybe Colorado, being the exceptions. The northern states of Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, not good. Alaska, not good, whether it's weather, whether it's disease or whatever. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about an awful lot of things that are changing the base of this resource. And we have to be doing more put more of those species on the mountain, on the prairie, whatever. And if there's one thing I hate about point systems, these elaborate draw schemes, it almost feels like somehow that entitles me to, well, I got, I'm supposed to get a tag. I've bought a point every year, you know, at 50 bucks a point. And therefore I've, I've bought this and that's my advocacy. And that's what I, that's, how, that's what I focus on rather than putting more elk out there. I'm going to focus on, oh, I got to stay, keep my place in line with points. And I don't know that anyone makes that as a conscious decision, but I think underneath there's this feeling that, well, I, I, I deserve this. Mm-hmm. We're my, you know, rich man's sport. My dad never hunted out of the County, let alone out of the state. None of my uncles hunted out of state so the you know this traveling hunter thing is a kind of newer mm-hmm. idea since probably nine mid 90s maybe somewhere in there mm-hmm. Late 90s, and it just is what it is it was it was way too rich for my dad being mm-hmm. a broke down logger to go to montana elk hunting that at the time, it might have cost 200 bucks for a tag. He would have been, <laughs> there's not a chance I'm paying $200. Mm-hmm. So the rich man's sport, I, 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 I try to put myself in their shoes and understand that concern. And sometimes I, I know it does cost a lot of money to do some mm-hmm. of these things. But relative to what it's always been, it's no more of a rich man's sport than what it than always it has. Yeah, Never. Like- it's, mm-hmm. it's always been that case. With that. You know, Western hunting, <clears throat> you had to be a Roosevelt or a Grinnell to go out Western hunting back in the start. So you want to talk about a rich man's sport? <laughs> Think about how rich it was in the 1880s, <laughs> 90s, 1900s. Mm-hmm. You had to be a Rockefeller. You had to be yeah. uh, an English lord. You, you had to be a whatever. Mm-hmm. And through the hard work of people 100 years ago, that's where it became accessible to the average person. Yeah. 
Yeah, and the I thing can... about the traveling hunter too, that's a, a beautiful thing. And what we believe we do, if you want to call the go hunt effect anything, with this traveling hunters, we are hoping and we believe we do make hunters care about their neighboring states and neighboring hunts and want to support and advocate for those those mm-hmm. other states. Because you look around where these states are losing fur and fang hunts, right? <clears throat> Oregon is throwing around some really wild ideas about no hunting, like just generally at all it's like okay well as we get more people from outside of oregon to care about oregon and oregon's hunting and to care about colorado's fur and fang hunts and to care about washington losing their spring bear hunt like you get more people to care outside of your home state that's advocacy right right like they sit there and you know the the naysayers and the the famine mentality kind of people they'll sit there and bitch and complain about people showing up to bear hunt but you're really going to want them when your state's trying to shut down yeah. bear hunting. Yeah. Like you, you can't have it both ways. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So what do you think about this then? So I met some people they are from, uh, they're from Washington. We'll talk about, we just talked about Washington. Yeah. So I'm going to do this Washington example. So I met them on my family deer hunt. I was talking to these two old guys. They're phenomenal guys. We've talked for like 20 minutes when I should have been glassing looking for deer. <laughs> but uh, I was like, so you guys hunt Washington often? You ever draw any good tags? And you're like, we haven't hunted Washington in 10 to 15 years. They've lived there the whole life yep. because they said it's so messed up management-wise and trying to get tagged, populations, like their state doesn't care about hunters. So they don't hunt their state anymore. So they're always hunting Idaho, you know, Montana, Colorado, they're hunting other states. Yep. So then my thought was then like, well, how do we fix that then in your state to help you? Because, yeah, we want non-residents to go around and hunt our states. We want to be able to do that. But, like, if we could fix problems in people's home states, maybe there could be some less non-resident pressure going across these other states. But like, yeah, we'd love that. But it's like, it's just so messed up right now that we can't hunt our home state. It's not an enjoyable hunt. You don't see any animals. You don't have any fun anymore. So we go to other states and we're traveling now. I mean, generally speaking, it's a, that's just another example of lost access. You're Mm -hmm, losing the access to hunt your home state and it's through, you know, messed up. Yeah. Management and politics and not caring about you as, as a hunter. They're more concerned about, money and land swaps and all of that stuff for the state, that is where the non-resident becomes your best friend. Mm-hmm. The advocacy of yeah. helping you try and save this resource that you have in your home state. And when it gets overrun, what are they supposed to do now? Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's interesting in Washington. You know, I just finished up a four-part series with Andrew McKean on our podcast, and we used two states, Washington and Colorado, as the focus of those things you mentioned, mm-hmm. the spring bear hunt, the, the gubernatorial appointments of people who actually are stated that they believe in the animal rights type uh, mindset. And from that process and the two years of research leading up to it and going into it, there are so many amazing hunters in Washington who are saying, please come help, but advocate in some way. And they have said the same thing, Brady. If you guys in whatever state are tired of Washington hunters, you're about ready to get a lot more of them. Yeah. And I go do the Portland show every February. I do the Bend, Oregon show every March. And they're really changing their stuff. And their opportunities are shrinking and shrinking in Oregon. And I do these Q&A sessions. When I first started doing them five or six years ago, it was more about tactics and strategies. Now mm-hmm. it's all about where can I get a tag because my home state, I'm I'm kind of losing out, you know, as they ha- have to shrink things and the opportunity gets less and less. I'm looking at Oregon. I'm looking at Montana. I'm looking at, you know, wherever. And so to your guys' point, it's very 
it hits home with me that don't think that what happens in Washington or Oregon or Iowa or, you know, North Dakota or wherever, don't think that isn't affecting you and how many people mm-hmm. you say there's too many people at the trailhead. Well, it, it, it's not just happening in my little Bozeman, Montana. Mm-hmm. It's not just happening in, you know, it is so much bigger than that. And that's where I, I listen to a lot of these these concerns and they focus on one straw in a whole bale of hay. It, it is a lot of things going on. It seems intimidating. It seems overwhelming that we have so many things that are on our plate. But guess what? It was hard work for those who came before us. Mm-hmm. And if you're afraid of hard work, Elk hunting is not for you, and conservation is not for you. <laughs> yeah. I would agree with that. And yep. I'm, I'm up for it. Yeah. And I, I just hope that everybody who is, who is expressing these frustrations, uh, you know, whether they're legitimate, that a lot of them are, or whether they're, you know, just the com- person who complains all the time, I hope they think about what am I doing to put more animals out there? What am I doing to create more access? Mm-hmm. Because if every one of us spent one-tenth of the time towards those causes that we spend on, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. platforms here or there, I I would rather nobody watches any of my stuff if they meant, if that meant that they would go and do conservation work instead. Mm -hmm. Please get rid of, unsubscribe everything of mine and go take that time and do conservation work. Do advocacy work. Show up for a hearing. Comment on something. We'd be better off mm-hmm. than you watching or listening to my platforms. Yeah. And something commenting is so easy too. I, I hear it a lot. Like you guys sent me a message back and like, why are you supporting some of these things that are not other states that you've never gone to before? And it's like, that's why I'm supporting it. Yeah. Because like I might never hunt spring bears in Washington if they ever made a season, but damn well, I'm going to fight for it Yeah. because it's going to come to my state eventually. Yep. And I want those people then turning around and be like, you know, you guys are supporting us. Let's support you. It's all hunting together. It's not the state by state thing like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to help Idaho because they keep screwing over non-residents. No, I'm going to keep helping Idaho. I don't care what you guys do. I'm going to keep helping you. If something bad happens, I'll be right there commenting, reading the commission notes, checking things out, submitting my comments, sharing things, Yeah, just working together. It's hard to know what to do, I think, sometimes, but I think we could all do a better job of like, because like in today's day and age, there's just like seems less opportunity to actually get out and get dirt underneath your fingernails and do things Mm -hmm. on the ground, you know, but I... I think so many of these are, you know, big picture issues. It is things like access and, you know, expansion and, you know, management in a state like Washington or Oregon, or even as you were talking about, you, you were saying like North Dakota, we don't think that this is ever going to, like, we don't think that this thing that's happening in some other states ever going to come to our state. It's Mm -hmm. like, I live in Utah and I look at Washington and I think that would never happen in Utah. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the Wasatch Front, I mean, it's, the, <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. If, yeah. You, if you look at Colorado and then you look at Denver and you're it's, like, yeah. Who's, yeah. Yeah, who's making, Introducing you know, if, if, this, kind if, of this, a, if this goes to a vote, yeah, you know, exactly. who, who knows? Well, Arizona and uh, Nevada are the two most urbanized states in the nation mm-hmm. in terms of percentage of their yeah. population that lives within a metro mm-hmm. area. You don't think that those two states couldn't easily be in the Flip. crosshairs? Yep. Yeah, for this kind, you know, some of that, that kind so that, of stuff. That's when it matters, and I mean, it, it could, it, it'll matter. It will matter. It'll it'll matter in every state in it'll the last always, eventually. It will it'll always, always matter. matter. And what's yeah. what's so interesting, <clears throat> just out of like 
very high level, 30,000 foot level. It's like this hunter thing, this bifurcation of teams, non-resident and resident. Hunters for the most part are very, you know, America proud and, and, you know, support the nation, the whole deal. It's like, we're all one nation, the whole deal. Yeah. It's like, but then when it comes to hunting, no, 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 no. You're either a resident or a non-resident. And like, we yeah. are very different. Why is that the case? I go, we're, we're all hunters, right? We all well, want the you're best either, for You're either a crossbow hunter or bow hunter. Yeah, or, like, you, yeah. You, or you're, you're a traditional archer you're, traditional, you're shooting a recurve we, we, and I'm shooting a compound. You start we're to not get into, on the same team. Your accolades, no, 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 you hunt with a rifle, your accolades. <laughs> like, but it gets so weird when yeah, you get, underneath, get, the, get uh, underneath the covers pretty, pretty there. And it's divided. like, what the hell? Aren't we all just want the best for each other and all the hunting in everyone's state? You would hope so. But in a lot of, I always have to remind myself that, you know, hunters are a cross section of American society. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of these things that we observe or are, are feeling or part of are happening in other places. Like I, I have a friend who's a fanatic golfer and he is complaining about the number of new golfers. He's like, they don't understand <laughs> etiquette. They don't know when to be quiet. They play slow. They won't let anyone play through. They don't replace their divots. He's mm. like, where did they all come from? I can't even get a tea time anymore. <laughs> and I'm thinking, of, I'm listening to him. And I'm like, man, this sounds like, mm. you know. Eerily similar. <laughs> and my friends who ski, I, I don't even ski anymore. I, it, is, it isn't even worth it is what you hear him saying. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Uh, is this just an American thing where now we're more affluent with our time and our money? Yeah. Where we are passionate about certain activities and rather than be general generalists across a hundred activities, we're like, I'm going to do this one or two things and I'm do it every spare minute I got. And yeah. so I don't know if that's part of it, but listening to my friend who is a serious golfer, he's like, well, there, there should be some sort of exam. You, you should have to somehow vest yourself in this if you're going to be a golfer. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Golf ed. You know, yeah. Golf yep. safety class. <laughs> but, I think it's that, and I also think that it's everybody has one of these, and now mm-hmm. you, all, you all have the avenue to post your opinion at any oh, yeah. time. So yeah, it's, just, whether, it's yeah. just so much more yeah, on your people, face. People, whether they have 500 followers, 5,000 followers, or 5 million followers, they all feel equally... Um, able to put their advice, their yeah. thought, their critique. They all Dif- feel very capable of doing it. Dif- it's like different day and age for sure. Well, yeah, yeah, that's an interesting one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you, like, what do you, you've talked about access. Like, what other things do you see in terms of uh, like threat to the tradition of hunting? Um, my, the access, I think, is number one. And we lose access through a variety of ways, whether it's development, subdivisions. Mm-hmm. Land ownership changes mm-hmm. that Lorenzo was talking about, state agencies. This is the one that people don't like to hear, but hunter behavior. Yeah. We lose a pot full of private access because of hunter behavior. Yeah, so there, there's all kinds of reasons. I, and so I think without access, it's, it's hard to connect people to the cause of conservation without them having access to a place mm-hmm. to go and ex- have the hands-on experience of what conservation can do for, for hunting. So for me, that first step is access. After that, it's putting more animals, more productive landscapes are going to provide more animals. Mm-hmm. And I just, people are like, well, what's that mean? Well, it means prescribed burns. It means weed control. It means, you know, water catchments. It, it's, it's a, 
a big, big bundle of things. And it can be many things. It is advocacy. It's showing up when they're talking about doing a controlled burn and someone with money shows up and says, well, I don't like smoke in the air. Well, guess what? There's no forage for the wild things if we don't do a controlled burn. Or, you know, I, I could give you oodles of examples. But for me, those are the two. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing the creeping of this. Uh, and this is what we focused on in this four-part series. We're seeing the creeping of this political process that has looked at the sleepy, all-is-well community in the hunting space, in the wildlife space, how our commissions are. You know, Did we ever expect that commissioners would be selected based on their political affiliation or their ideological borderline religious belief about the use of wild things. No one else. We, we just assume no good people will be there mm-hmm. and they'll do the right thing. That is not what has happened with the way the commission appointments have happened in uh, Washington and Colorado. So I'm, and when you peel back the layers to see where that money's coming from and who's involved, this is not going away. Mm-hmm. This, they're going to put their foot on the gas, right? Mm-hmm. What do we have in Colorado now? A new ballot initiative that gets rid of anything related to wild felines, mountain lions, bobcats, anything. It, it, this stuff is, is not going away. And at that point in time, you know, are, are the Colorado guys going to say, look, you, you non-residents, we don't want your money. You yeah. know, if it don't, don't send us any money. Don't provide any, any, uh, advocacy for our cause we're we don't need you no no they're gonna they, be sending up the sos <laughs> yeah saying, please help so i think that's that's mm-hmm. emerged further than most hunters give it credit for and i'll admit that until i started researching it two years ago when i i sat in and watched the washington mm-hmm. spring bear did you watch that brady mm-hmm. that it was so that biologist oh yeah it was an unbelievable presentation by the biologists of why they should have a spring bear season i'm like <laughs> Nobody could vote against this. They voted to not renew it. And I'm like, that's that was my moment where I said, I gotta start looking into this. And I think that the those are probably the three (laughs) things that I see that we just we gotta keep our eye on it. And we gotta do more than what we've done. Buying a hunting license is not conservation. It's not enough. You know, that's like saying that Hunter Ed is somehow uh, your own personal investment in becoming a better hunter. No, it's a statutory requirement. Mm-hmm. A license is a statutory requirement. Yeah. Don't confuse volunteerism and advocacy and contributions with a statutory requirement. And we got to just do more and more and more. And, you know, I'm a, for me, I, I think if there's, one place where we could see more like i saw you guys did the the giving thing in december one day you guys mm-hmm. gave all your money to those four groups i think those are the kind of leadership things we need more of among people who have platforms like me we need to be at meetings we need to be commenting we need to be doing the things that carry the ball because there's a lot of people who do what i do myself included who get a ton of personal uh, you can call it enjoyment, you can call it satisfaction, you can call it whatever. Purpose to my life because of hunting. And I damn sure need to give back more than I mm-hmm. get out of it. And I, I hope people who have platforms to do that 
are doing it. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's a good, I don't know if it's a good spot to, to it's just food for thought. You know, yes. it's like yeah. a, I don't know. I, I think about it too. And it's, it, it's so much, it's, it's so hard to know what to do and when, you know, yeah. and it, it feels like, uh, I never know quite what to do or what is it. But as I listen to you talk, I mean, there are so many things, just, even if it's just a comment, mm-hmm. you know, if it's public it's, comment, yeah, public comment, it's, yeah. Lis- you know, listening and just being uh, educated on it and, mm-hmm. and then just trying to advocate where I can. Yeah. I was so green when I started this process mm-hmm. of advocating. How I got into it is in 1993, I just moved to Bozeman, Montana. My wife and I took these ridiculous pay cuts. Everyone, this, unlike today, everyone was leaving Bozeman at that time. <laughs> you know, the U-Haul guy was glad I brought a trailer back because they were all, he was <laughs> empty it. with everyone else had left town. Mm. And I was like, why the hell are you moving to Bozeman? I mean, we took ridiculous pay cuts. But I could get an elk tag every year that I couldn't get when I lived in Carson City, Nevada. I didn't have to get drawn from it. It's like, mm-hmm. this is worth it for me. What my wife and I made is a financial sacrifice to have hunting available was, as a financial person in the CPA world, don't take advice from me. Don't, <laughs> you know, if you'd, you'd analyze that and say, I'm not taking advice from that guy. Well, anyhow, we're there for two years and there's this checkerboard piece of land, huge amount of land that had been railroad grants granted to the Northern Pacific Railroad. Which later on, you know, however many, 80 years later, they split it into a timber company, land company, away from the railroad company. So now the land timber company has all this checkerboard stuff. The entire Gallatin and Madison face from Bozeman to Big Sky is all checkerboard. But the land company at that time was like, yeah, you can hunt it. You know, it was open. Mm-hmm. Along comes some guys call, form a company called Big Sky Lumber. And they said, next year, we're closing all of this. So all the trails that went through there that we just, well, not only could we hunt it, but the trails went through there. Hundred, over 100,000 100, acres of the best elk and deer hunting in Southwest Montana was going to get shut down. And <laughs> my wife is reading this in the paper and she's like, don't we hunt there? I'm like, yeah, there's a big deal. I don't know what to do about it. She says, well, there's a hearing at the Holiday Inn on North 7th. I want you to go there and tell them what I'm thinking. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I'll stay here with the kid. You you go you there. Go. So I remember sitting there. And I didn't know what to do. To you, and this yeah. is the story of, to your point of, what do you do? Mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm so green. I have no idea. I'm sitting there in the back trying to be the quiet, polite accountant. And... All these people are getting up, well, well, you know, this, that. Everyone's got their own cause, and there's not a single hunter there that has said anything. And Senator Max Bacchus and his staff are there. They're the ones who held this public meeting. And I'm like, well, hell with it. I'm going to stand up and tell them what my wife thinks. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I don't even really remember what I said because I was so nervous. Mm -hmm. And I, I felt like, who am I to be talking to a U.S. senator? And, uh... And then now, in retrospect, the guy, Kurt Alt, who retired from Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks, he tells the story that I threatened to get the senator unelected. And I don't remember saying that. But anyhow, (laughs) afterwards, the senator comes up to me with his chief of staff and hands me their cards. They're like, finally, you hunters showed up. 
stay in touch with us. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know really what to do. I just you did see. what it was coming from my passion and my heart of, I, hey, folks, I took a $30,000 pay cut for my resident elk tag. I don't want to see this happen. So over the course of the next 10 years, we worked on three land exchanges that now all of that is public access. The public ended up with over 100,000 acres of public access over that. And I learned a ton in the process. I made a lot of stupid mistakes. I said some stupid things, but I learned how the process worked. And I watched the people who really knew how it worked. I learned a lot from them. And then that got me involved in all kinds of other Mm -hmm. stuff. And so it starts with that first step. Mm -hmm. And don't worry if you say something, you know, the always be polite and be professional. Uh, but don't don't threaten to get don't be afraid to fail. (laughs) You know, and nobody had it figured out. No one has it figured out yet. But do something. Your passion and your your feelings about it and its importance to you will come through. Mm-hmm. And that will mean more to these decision makers, most of them, than the paid slick lobbyist who shows up because they know that person's on someone's payroll. Yeah. But here you show up as a volunteer. You took an evening away from your family. You drove 100 miles in a snowstorm. That means a lot or you wrote a letter, or you made a phone call, or you did whatever, start with something, and it will make a difference. And I, I wish there was a book on it, but I, I don't think there is. Mm-hmm. It just, you know, being involved is, is what it takes. And the decision to be apathetic about it and walk away because you don't know what to do, well, indecision becomes a decision. Mm. And we need more, more deciders, more, more activists. So. That was good. That was well well stated. I think I've I've said before on the podcast, and a lot of this a lot of these decisions, uh, if they go to a vote, if if they are considered across the population statewide, those decisions are going to be made by the majority of people don't hunt. We know that. Mm-hmm. So anything that you can do to you know shine favor on hunting in a good light, I mean you can show up. You know, even if that's an influence to somebody that doesn't hunt, you know, mm-hmm. just shed a light on it, educate people. I think you can do things like that. You can talk to people that don't hunt, Yeah. you know, help them understand why you do hunt. Yeah. I mean, I got a whole bunch of neighbors that, you know, don't hunt and they see, you know, I'm packing meat in and out of my house and I got a deer head on the, <laughs> on the back porch, you know, but any, anything that you can do yeah. to, to help people understand, I think is good. I think it's a great, because I think so often we do, we get, we get, uh, you know, an al- a paralysis by analysis. We don't know yeah. what to do, and we just sit on our hands. So yeah. I, I think it's—I think that's great advice to just start with one thing. What can you do? Yeah. E- even if it's a small thing. Yep. Sounds good. Yeah. You guys got yeah. other questions? Mm-hmm. I don't. That was a good discussion. I really appreciate it. Oh yeah, thanks for having good. me. I don't one, know that we've solved any of the world's uh, problems, but no. But <laughs> I, I liked it. One thing I—I felt like. Uh, I don't know. Every once in a while, you get somebody through, and you just feel like like the genuine passion. And I, I, I genuinely believe that you're very passionate about the thing that you're trying to do. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, I mean, it's just a compliment to you. So. Well, thanks, guys. I, I appreciate it. And I appreciate what you guys do. You know, you guys are in that hard spot, like a lot of people who have businesses in this industry. If you do a lot of stuff for conservation, you try to do it kind of quietly because otherwise everyone's going to accuse you of, oh, mm-hmm. you're just doing it for a marketing tool. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Yeah. It, I've been really worried about, uh, you know, and probably 
to the point of wrongly making decisions and I'll fully admit to that. But like, yeah, I mean, you don't ever want to be labeled as a company that's just slapping your name on everything and all this stuff because you want the, you know, you want the marketing equity from it or whatever it is. And so we try to, we try to do as much as we can, but we don't ever want to amplify what we just did because then it's like, okay, well, why'd you do it then? You know, it's like, if you're ever going to get back to the community and then you just go tell everybody, Hey, I just gave, you know, whatever for, Christmas or un- underprivileged kids. Okay, well, why'd you do it then? You know, or did you yeah. do it to tell me? So, anyways, we we keep it under wraps, and we probably should be a little different about that. Yeah, and I, my job, I always feel no matter what company I'm with, if I know they do a lot for conservation, I try to throw that one out there because I know how that fine line is. I mean, yeah. some of the partners we work with are like, no, we just do it because we want to give back to yeah. what we we love and what our passion is and so uh i know when i walk in here there's no shortage of passion for the same things that i've expressed trail mm-hmm. i've just had the benefit of having to but i guess being put on the spotlight to try express it in ways that are meaningful to me yeah. and you know you open this by talking about you having three kids mm-hmm. who are gonna hunt and i will say that when my son was born it was like 180 of how I viewed the world, mm-hmm. the, the future of everything, the future of the country he's going to live in, the the times he's going to live in. But the thing in my family, going back as far as I can remember, where the bonds of, of relationships were woven was hunting. Just like when Brady talks so eloquently about his family's bond in hunting. For me... If hunting did not exist for my son and then that generation and the next generation, that's where my passion comes from. That's what drives me because somebody did that for me. Mm-hmm. And there is nothing that's short of my family and friends, there's nothing that's added more value to my life than hunting. The failures, the successes, the learning and the and the mistakes and all of that. Put it all in one package. And there's a reason my business card doesn't say Randy Newberg CPA. It says Randy Newberg Hunter, because that's what I identify as as mm-hmm, a hunter. Yeah. And so that's that's where that comes from. And I think a lot of your listeners, a lot of my listeners and, and viewers, feel the same way. So how do we how do we put that in a way that makes it so my son, your kids, mm-hmm. your kids, those next generations, how do they have what we had? Gotta keep at it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Show up. Show up. That's probably a good good spot to stop. You guys, any other questions for you guys? We appreciate you coming in. Yeah, yeah. great, sure. great for having me. Great conversations. Yeah. So uh, I guess follow you on YouTube. Yeah. Follow you on YouTube. Check out what you got going on, and then also your, your website. You got Hunt Talk. Yeah, you got um, the Hunt Talk forum. We got the Hunt Talk Radio podcast. Corey and I do the Elk Talk podcast. Mm-hmm. We got the YouTube channel, Fresh Tracks with Randy Newberg. Uh, we have a. If you don't like ads and you don't want to be throttled and monitored and followed around the internet we have a subscription platform called fresh tracks plus that's out at fresh tracks tv uh yeah all the normal stuff i get i do have an instagram page i know that because the guys (laughs) tell me does michael run that for you (laughs) michael michael and kyler and jace and marcus Mm -hmm. and matthew run the instagram there you go i so if you get, what is it, a DM? A, a DM, DM, direct, direct message. 
so many people are like, you must not run your Instagram page because I got a message that says, if you want to reach Randy, email is best. <laughs> Here's his email. So I, but we do have that also. There you go. I, that. We, we appreciate you coming out on what was probably a, a long weekend there at the Elk Camp. So yeah, we appreciate you it. stopping in. Worth every bit of it. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Thank you, Randy. Thank you, Randy.